Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference just ended, and we have all the big details broken down for you. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With me is Cena Editor-at-Large and Apple Reporter Ian Schur. How you doing, Ian? I'm, uh, I'm feeling very Apple-y right now. It's been a very Apple day. Well, you spent the last two hours live blogging this thing, so you are the perfect person to break down all the details. Let's get right into the big story, the, the historic moment, as Tim Cook put it, the, the announcement that they are shifting away from Intel chips and moving to their own processor. Now, this is something that the geeks like us kind of get into, uh, but let's break it down for why this matters for a normal person. Because off the bat, at least for the next couple months it, or even the next couple years, it may not make a huge difference to people, but let's talk about why this is a big deal. Yeah, a lot of this comes down to what Apple is able to do with their entire uh, pro their their programming, their hardware, everything. They're able to basically control the entire experience, and as a result, the devices we're going to get are very di- going to be very different. We're going to get uh, possibly laptops that are much thinner uh, because we're talking about a mobile chip here, right? But supposedly powerful enough to compete against a desktop or a laptop. Uh, so if you just extrapolate out, you think about an iPad with a, a MacBook's battery, you have significantly more battery life, right? Um, if you think about the possibility of the, you know, the iPad doesn't have a fan on it. So let's imagine a laptop that doesn't make your, your, your thighs all sweaty all of a sudden. Like this is, that's what's really cool, I think, about what the promise of this is. And having lived through these transitions before and experienced them, uh, the one thing that comes out really quick is that the devices that they uh, launch, the first iMac with an Intel chip, for example, was significantly faster than the competing PowerPC chip that they sold literally a week before. Um, it's rather amazing how much of a change happens when they're able to unlock these, these huge boosts in power that they supposedly find whenever they switch. Yeah, and I think the power efficiency aspect, I mean, that's something that Apple hit on pretty hard during its presentation. I think that's one of the more obvious benefits. You know, you bring up the fact that it'll be thinner. Uh, you know, just like iPhones, there's sort of an always-on capability, right? It doesn't. It's, your sleep mode comes up. You get off the of sleep mode really fast. Um, what I'm more interested in is the, the idea, though, that this puts them in the same kind of platform or foundation as the iPhone, right? They even made the point today that, you know, the, these... Uh, Apple Silicon-based Macs will be able to run iPhone apps, which really is sort of like the step in the direction of eventually, you know, either iPhone and Macs merging or iOS and Mac OS and everything all merging together. You know, they may not actually pull the trigger on that, but the fact that they they can, that this is all on one platform, I think is uh, has some interesting implications down the line. I, I made the point during the live blog that um, I really think that the merging is happening right now. I think that when you look at the way that they've made all the icons on the dock, you know, they made a, they spent like five minutes talking about redesigning the look of the new, the new Mac software, which is called Big Sur. Uh, and really all it was was bringing a lot of the language, uh, the way that the iPhone and the iPad look, the software into the Mac. And now that it's running the same chips, 
What's the difference? Well, really, you have an iPhone app that looks one way. The iPad version has more features that you can see on the screen, but it's basically the same app. And now the Mac version has even more features you can see on the screen, but literally is the same app. They said that they took the app from the iPad and the iPhone to make the Maps app and the Reminders app. So from my point of view, I feel like this this change is happening now. And the way that they're going to always be slightly different is that I have a bigger screen with an I, uh, with a Mac, so I get more stuff on screen. But I can run iPhone apps on my Mac. I can run iPad apps on my Mac. I suddenly have like a million more apps I'm able to run. So this is going to be a very interesting experience going through this. But I don't think this argument of when will they merge is no. It, it feels like it's a non-issue now. They're they're basically making it so that they have. Now we talked a bit about the, the potential benefits, but there are also potential downsides. We look at the Windows side of things. There are actually a number of PCs running what are known as ARM-based chips, these kind of mobile processors that usually are found in phones. Uh, you know, I've talked with Dan Ackerman with, with our PC team, and the consensus is generally they're all kind of terrible, and we don't actually recommend buying any of them. Um, so there's definitely a risk. Obviously, Apple has more control over this experience, but uh, what I, I'm just curious if you had any concerns or, or if, if you're kind of looking at this stuff, what kind of reservations you might have about, you know, an ARM-based Mac? They have to prove that this thing is worth it. You know, the, the demos they showed uh, during this very slick two-hour video was still recorded. We have not seen live proof that Mac OS on this thing is as smooth as they show. And, uh, you know, while it was cool, I'm sure it's not going to be that smooth all the time in the beginning. Uh, the other thing is that the problem Microsoft had with their ARM-based tablets is that they, or the, sorry, the ARM-based computers, was that the developers didn't want to go through the trouble of making the apps for them. Uh, now, Apple has this built-in uh, group of people who make iPhone and iPad apps who are going to be like, ooh, I can just sell a new app to the Mac, and that's great. So maybe they won't have as much of a problem, but a lot of it was that we learned the limits of Microsoft's power because all their developers were like, no way, Jose, I am not touching that thing with a six foot pole. And uh, so that's the reservation I have. Um, but you know, if you look at it, there have already been these, these benchmarks that have come out of the iPad Pro, which has supposedly the th same chip that they were showing in the Mac today. And the latest iPad Pro supposedly can compete with a laptop in terms of certain benchmarks, right? Not all of them, uh, in performance. And if that's true, then Apple's already made most of its point right now. And we just have to see them follow through with it. Right, in case in point, the, the, the demo, the developer demo unit that they're sending out, they're shipping starting this week, actually runs on a A12Z Bionic chip, right? The same one that runs the iPad Pro. Yeah, and by the way, if you go back in time to 2005 when the Intel transition happened, they were shipping out massive Mac Pros with an Intel chip in them. I mean, these were honking machines. Now they're going to send out a little hockey puck. Like, it, it just speaks to how different the world has become as a result of all of this. All right, so they really only spent about 15 to 20 minutes talking about this. Let's And it was a two-hour presentation, so let's talk about some of the other announcements. Uh, we'll jump to iOS 14, because that's what they, they started with. That's what they kicked things off with. Uh, there were a lot of quality of life improvements. Uh, just right off the bat, superficially speaking, like they tweaked the, the home screen and they added things like widgets. Tell me a little bit about what some of the new features are. 
I think a lot of the features can be summed up as now we do what everyone else does. <laughs> you know, you remember the, uh, the the Broadway tune, right? Anything you can do, I can do better. And it definitely comes across a little bit that way. And there's a lot of stuff. If you just pulled video from old Google presentations and old Samsung presentations, here they are in Apple world, but they are done in an Apple-y way. So for example, Siri, supposedly now, it does a lot more stuff and it does it in a way that isn't obscuring the screen. Great, thank you. But also it'll do stuff like translation, voice translation between uh, different people of uh, speaking different languages automatically, and it's on the device. So you don't need an internet connection. And they say that it's encrypted, it's secure. And this is their kind of low level punching up thing at Google saying, hey, you know, you guys might be able to do all this amazing stuff with Google Assistant, but everyone has to give up their privacy for it to work. And here they've come up with ways to do this stuff in a way that follows their privacy policies, which they say don't allow for the type of advertising and intrusiveness that Google does. I'm not saying that that's true. I'm just saying that's Apple's argument. So I think that's a, there's a lot of that going on where Apple's saying, okay, we're going to take a lot of the stuff we never did before because of our privacy policies or we never got around to it or we weren't good at it or we couldn't come up with it. And now we're going to start doing it. And we basically have feature parity with everyone else. Right, and I, I chuckled a bit when I saw, in terms of feature parity, the the widgets that ha- have been around and for Android for years, and I know there's a version of it now in iOS, but being able to take those widgets, moving them to your home screen, adjusting the size, I'm like, wow, that's that's it feels like seven years ago on Android. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to see that long requested by iPhone users. Yes, yes, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm as an iPhone user and an Android user, I'm, I'm looking forward to having it, but. Um, you know, one one service, Apple Maps, uh, got a lot of, a lot of improvements. Talk about that and and you know how it sort of stacks up with Google Maps, which is still the default app for a lot of folks. Yeah, I think that for Apple and Google, this is one place where they're competing in a really interesting way. So Apple Maps uh, came out of the gate really poorly. You may remember. Uh, I'll never forget some of those images. And I remember when it thought the Golden Gate Bridge was in the middle of the city and all that type of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that they really screwed up. But over time, supposedly, according to some reviews, including one that they highlighted during their presentation, it's gotten a lot better. And I'll admit that I use it uh, when I'm going around town, mostly because I like how uh, it taps my Apple Watch when I need to turn. That's something that no one else does. So, you know, those things, they really tried to kind of talk about, okay, what can we do more? So they've got this stuff like they've got the uh, biking uh, system in it now where it'll tell you what your elevation will be. It'll offer you ways to avoid stairs. Um, all these things that, as you brought up, quality of life but offer them something that's slightly different. And also they're doing stuff where um, they're really trying to figure out how do we design this to look extremely different from the competition. And I think it's very clear now, if you look at a Google map, a Waze, even though they're the same company, they look different, and an Apple map, you know which one is which. And Apple's really pushing hard on how easy it is to use And I think it'll be really interesting to see how this changes over time, because at some point I'm, you know, Apple is the default on your phone, right? And people are increasingly going to choose to use it. And if that's the case, then Google needs to push because Apple's not a small platform. Yeah. And one other moving on to sort of another platform, they've broken out, obviously, Apple uh, Watch OS. 
they, they, they talked about some of the improvements, you know, the face watch uh, options go up, which I'm sure our colleague Scott Stein will be very excited about. Uh, but uh, well, still not a face app, though. Not an actual uh, fa- app face store. Watch. Yeah. It, yeah. He really wants that. And I do, too. As a Star Trek nerd, I want my watch to look like Star Trek and it still can't. But they talked a little bit about uh, th- there were some features like the, the hand washing detection. Um, talk about some of the other uh, features on watchOS, some of those other improvements that you saw. Yeah, I think the most telling was the real hard push on health. Right. They they actually had a moment where they showed uh, people dancing and how the the workout app can actually understand your dancing. And uh, supposedly this is incredibly hard to get the calorie counts and everything correct, uh, because, you know, all dancing is different. And, you know, if you dance the mamba, it's a little different than other things. I don't know. So um, or mambo rather. So I, I'm really curious. <laughs> I can't even say it right. So I'm really curious to see like what that turns into and how they're going to push further on health. You may have noticed that the activities app, when it when it launches this fall, has been renamed the fitness app. They very clearly see that this is what the the watch is for. And even the sleep tracking, you know, this thing that we all said, well, wait a minute, the phone, the watch barely has like more than two days of battery life. How am I going to wear it while I sleep? And they showed that they can actually turn off the screen. They'll preserve battery life. And they even said, uh, when you wake up in the morning, it'll tell you what your, what your battery life is. So you could charge it in the morning, right? Instead of charging it overnight. So it's very clear that they, they're trying to really say, okay, how can we use this thing to help you understand your body and what you're doing? And I think that's pretty cool. Definitely. One thing that Apple didn't mention, but uh, we picked up on, a lot of folks picked up on, was this ability to change your default email and browser uh, on iOS 14 and iPadOS 14. You know, they didn't make a big deal of it, but this obviously comes uh, after a couple of days of controversy with this Hey Email app. I wonder if you could sort of break down what's been going on with that that app and the, the sort of the controversy that's been brewing around that. Yeah, so every year around the developer conference, uh, some of the drama within the Apple developer community kind of starts to bubble up. And a lot of people's complaints come to the surface, which naturally so, right? Everyone's looking at the Apple developer conference. These people are the lifeblood of the iPhone, so they should be making noise during this time. And one of the things that came up was there was this app called Hey, which comes from Basecamp, which is a, 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 a business company, right? It's a business app. And it was an email app that used kind of different way of working than most email apps, but it was highly regarded by some people. It was really excited when it came out. And then Apple pulled it from the app store because of certain rules it broke around how it competed against Apple's own apps, about how it charged users, all these different things that Apple does that are rules that a lot of developers don't like. And uh, this drama kept going for a few days. And now actually this morning before the uh, before the presentation, Apple actually allowed the Hey app back into the store, apparently because they'd offered a 14 day free trial for the app. So you don't have to have a subscription uh, to be able to try it out, which I guess makes it. I don't understand entirely what they're thinking, but I think that's part of the problem is that Apple has all these rules and a lot of the developers say it's really hard to tell what the rules are and how they're applied. And it feels like it's inconsistent. And Apple has screwed up many times. And this is one of those times where they got a lot of drama over it. Yeah, it also comes, this comes really just a, a week or two 
after the EU launched an investigation into Apple's App Store, right? Um, so there's definitely a lot of scrutiny over the App Store and really the control that Apple has uh, over the developers, over this ecosystem. Yeah, I think that it's going to be kind of interesting. I think when the uh, when there was an antitrust review of the iBook Store, a lot of people said, eh, Apple's small potatoes. They haven't really competed with... Like, they're nowhere close to the Kindle in terms of size, right? Amazon still runs the market. How on earth is Apple going to be found to have violated antitrust rules? And then they were, right? And the the judge said, you you did violate antitrust. And I think the question will be, okay, Apple has this massive control of the ecosystem. Part of the reason that they haven't had as many viruses and all these other things is that you are only allowed to download apps from the App Store, you can't download them from anywhere else unless you hack the phone. And that has made sure that Apple is able to say, okay, these are secure apps. We're going to test them every time. But now it may have gotten them in some hot water. And I'm really curious to see what the argument turns into, right? And whether Apple is forced to open up the App Store for its phones and its iPads and then deal with the security repercussions that come from that. Right. Uh, well, lastly, uh, you know, you watched the presentation from the comfort of your home, just like I did, just like everyone else did. Uh, this is a different sort of presentation. What'd you make of it? Because it was definitely not the standard keynote, right? It was not. And I was somewhat worried. I mean, Apple is definitely known for presentation, if nothing else. So I shouldn't have been as worried. But I was worried that it was going to come across a little flat, right? And, you know, I mean, I think everyone agrees that when you wake up in the morning, you want everyone to be good and feel happy and succeed. And so I didn't want to see Apple fall on its face because I, I, you know, Everyone should be able to succeed. And what was interesting watching it was that uh, I had spoken to a a person beforehand, an analyst, who said, you really have to think about these mobile presentations kind of like you think about reality TV, right? It's like The Bachelor. This is going to be the most amazing rose ceremony ever, even if it's completely boring. And they really did a good job of that. They, They kept it very energetic. They moved through things I felt like a little quick, personally, because during these presentations, I mean, this is me as a journalist, right? During these presentations, it helps when people are clapping and when people are, you know, when people are making jokes because it gives me a second to catch up. But um, this time they moved really fast, but they still kept it in short chunks, right? It wasn't these long sessions of watching someone do a demo for 10 minutes. All these demos were very short. All the presentations were very short. There were a bunch of new faces that they brought up on stage every time. That all really kept it going. And then they also had, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, it reminded me of the Magic Kingdom, right? Disney with these videos where you go to different parts of Apple's campus and you fly around and, you know, it was kind of cute. And, you know, Craig Federici, the head of software, running from one building to another. um, And they made a pretty good joke of that. So uh, overall, I I think that they really landed pretty well on this, um, especially when you think about Microsoft really struggled with their Xbox presentation. Uh, There are a couple of others that have been widely panned and Sony with their PlayStation presentation did really well um, when they announced new PlayStation games. And it seems like Apple is falling into the good category here. So we'll see who else can follow them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, this this definitely serves as a blueprint for, for how you do one of these presentations. Because I like you said, I've seen a couple of the ones that fell in the bad camp. I recall, you know, OnePlus making their presentation. Granted, it was done sort of at the last minute. It was clear that they had a plan for an audience and they just sort of did the presentation like that, but it fell off. It fell flat 
Whereas Apple's really, I mean, it was clear they took into consideration how you would watch this thing, how you consume it, uh, and that there wouldn't be any audience. And it, it was, frankly, it was a very tricky time to do this, right? There's just, with everything going on with the Black Lives Matter protests, uh, with the coronavirus, there's just all, there was a lot, there's a tricky balance. The fine line they had to walk between being too enthusiastic and, and seeming insensitive to everything terrible that's going on. Yeah, and I think that they, you know, they brought up those things at the beginning of the presentation. And even though Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, said a lot of stuff that we'd heard before and I literally almost word for word repeated his tweets, they still, I feel like if he hadn't done that, it would have come across wrong. Uh, that, you know, they're like, oh, look at us. We're all these really happy white executives who are <laughs> talking about our devices. You know, that would not have played off well. So I think that that was interesting. And um, in the end, I think that one of the things we saw was a ton of production value. I mean, this is what a company worth one and a half trillion dollars is able to do when they have three months to prepare. And that that was quite interesting. Yep. Well, there is plenty more. We didn't we didn't go over every single detail that was announced today because it was just way too much. Uh, fortunately, all that is being covered at CNET. So please check out all of our stories. There are a lot. I warn you, there are a lot, but it's comprehensive. That's what we do. Uh, so if you have any questions for me, for Ian, or any of the folks out there, drop us a line at the Daily Charge on Twitter. And you can check out Ian's rapper and his live blog on CNET.com for the Daily Charge. I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening. <laughs>